Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens and sitting across the desk from me as usual is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening to those who are listening to the program. Thank you so much for allowing us to be in your home this evening. We have three questions that are kind of a carryover from last week or that have come in since last week's episode. Go ahead and send in your questions, but we will start out with these three questions from last week. The first one, Pastor, is coming from Antigua. Can women pray in church? I see some Baptist churches allow women to pray in church and some do not. Well, I think the person is probably referring, uh, using the reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. I don't know if you could read that for just a moment. Yeah, let me get that looked up. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 4 says, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Verse 5. Verse 5. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head, for that is even all as if she were shaven. Yeah, I think that is probably uh, the verse that the person is referring to. And we must remember in Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is trying to uh, put things in order because of such uh, aberrations going on in the Corinthian church that it was necessary for him to try to make certain corrections. And in doing so, he discusses the whole matter of the proper role of a woman in worship in the church and men in the church. And in this particular passage, um, he's saying that a woman uh, should have some kind of a subordination under um, uh, in, in, in what she was doing in the book of Corinthians chapter 11. In other words, in the New Testament times, first century world, women wore uh, a veil, a covering. And uh, that covering was a symbol of the husband's authority, and they were living in submission to their husband. So Paul is aware that within the Corinthian church, apparently there are some women who are discarding this uh, traditional standard of wearing a veil that indicates subordination. So he says in one case, if a man um, worships and prays with his head covered, he dishonors his head, which is Christ. And they say, but on the other hand, uh, a woman who uh, prays or prophesies without her head covered, she dishonors her, uh, her head, which is her husband. So the the whole question then comes down to the whole matter. Uh, okay, this verse seemed to indicate that women could pray and prophesy in, in the church, so uh, should that be allowed now? And we notice that in certain Baptist churches, certain churches, women are allowed to lead in prayer. I would like to make one or two comments here. I think the Apostle Paul is speaking about generally when you come into the church, worship in the, in the New Testament times, where... Um, 
everybody prayed, basically. It's like we have in a, pr- a prayer meeting where everybody is praying. Uh, he's not talking about, uh, like we do in, and there was no formal thing like we have today. We open the thing with prayer, we close with prayer. That's not a standard procedure. You just come in and you pray. So it's not the same practice. Uh, generally speaking, when we begin a service in the Baptist churches, I can only speak for the Baptist churches, we call upon somebody to pray. And then when the service is over, we normally call upon somebody else to, to pray. Uh, that is not the, the standard procedure in the New Testament time. People came together and they prayed together. Men would pray, women would pray. Uh, so it's not the same situation. Um, as far as I am concerned, um, I think that um, it's it's because of the biblical teaching on male leadership in the church and in the home, uh, I think it is it's proper that when the prayer is being done, that it, a man is called upon to prayer, etc., etc. Uh, that's my own feeling on this, this whole matter. I, I think that uh, as long as a man is there, I think he should be given that, 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 um, that right to do that. I think that helps to reestablish God's divine order of male leadership in the church, male leadership in the home. And I'm saying that especially in our day where everything is being broken down, there's no order, women believe they can do everything that a man does, etc., etc., completely ignoring that um, when it comes to functionality and order, that God has established certain functions for for uh, women and for men. And in the case of men, men lead in the church and men lead in the home. Um, women are supposed to be playing the role of submission in the home and within the church. And that's what was demonstrated in the book of Corinthians, where the woman wore a veil as a symbol of her subordination to her husband. So I and by the way, this is not a war I wish want to fight. You've got to pick your wars, to be honest with you. Mm. But I just think that within our circle, I really think it is the proper thing is to reestablish uh, male leadership because that is being lost in every quarter. And uh, I think men are in danger of losing that uh, dignity and that order that God has given to them because I think the church, to some extent, uh, is ignoring the standard and gradually is infiltrating to the point now where actually, in fact, um, women are now preachers. I, I, was, I just watched a documentary, uh, I think it was last night or the night before, where in all the mega churches now in America, basically all of them, the husband and the wife are the pastors. And I was shocked. And there were, I think, about seven of them that were mentioned that basically the husband pastors, he's one pastor, the wife. So this dual partnership, that is never found in the New Testament, nor is it found in church history. So it's, it's so because a woman was never given the role of a pastor. How would you respond to the individual who says, yes, that's never found in the Old Testament. <coughs> However, we as a society... As humans, we have, I hate to use the word evolved, but we have evolved to a higher level of equality and we're so much more developed from technology and we're developed more in a society. Therefore, it is proper for women to fill that role. My answer to that is very simple. Uh, Is the Bible designed to set norms for the church? Is that why we were given the scriptures or does society set the norm for the church? In my view, God has set the norm for the church, and we must try to conform to those norms that we find in the New Testament. The moment we move away where culture sets <coughs> the norms, we're going to have a problem not only with um, positions in the church, we're going to have a problem with 
morality and standards. And that's where the church is today, for example. Uh, the whole idea of accepting same-sex marriage. Yeah. I mean, that's what the culture is pushing. The normalization of homosexuality and um, lesbianism. That's what the culture is, is. And then the whole idea that the the highest virtue is tolerance. That's what society is pushing. But the highest virtue is not tolerance. I agree with John MacArthur. The highest virtue is not but righteousness. Living a righteous life is the highest virtue. But society is pushing tolerance as the highest virtue, is, you know. And, and that is where the, 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 the church will always clash with the culture. The culture is fallen. The culture substantially is uh, governed and, uh, in most cases, ruled by fallen men who are lost and unsaved and, and people who are in darkness. And they have a different philosophy and different ideology that they want to impose upon the world. And that ideology and philosophy is contrary to biblical principles. And the church has to take a stand. And I think that's the deficiency of the church not taking a stand these days. <coughs> Listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM and 92.3 FM. I don't know what your Tuesday has been like, but I am glad that... This last Tuesday before Christmas, when I know you have many, many things still on your to-do list, that you are taking time as you multitask in order to listen to the program and also interact as you have a question that comes to your mind. You can call and ask your question live on the air by calling 268-462-7420, or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268 782 Five, four. Yeah, I want to add one little thing that was, um, because we, we moved on to that topic, but I did want to say that I think that churches should be very careful in breaking with traditions that are not, let me put it this way, it's not something that the, uh, the Bible condemns. For example, what we're talking about, the men leading in prayer. Um, you don't want to split a church because, you know, we've been doing this for the last 50 years. And now we want to have become modern, so therefore we change it. And you'll be surprised that that can offend half the church, it might, mm. might split the church. So if it is not something that is cl- clearly a biblical base for doing a change, I think we need to be careful how we change and the process of change. If we do something very radically, radical and, it, 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 um, and very sudden, without some kind of a gradual movement, you can actually divide a church and split a church over these kind of matters. And I don't think the church is split over these kind of issues. For example, I'm a strong believer that a woman should wear a hat as a covering. I believe that, personally. But I would not split Grace Baptist Church over that, even because they were not taught that way. And I don't think that's where I should, uh, um, a hill I should die on, to be honest with you. But I have very strong convictions on that. But I don't impose it on the church because it leads to a come. And it's not a major doctrine that deals with salvation and the man's destiny. So why why split a church over something of that nature? Mm-hmm. Um, all a person can hope for as a pastor is that as you teach through the, the Bible, maybe some people begin to see it. And they will say, well, pastor, maybe we need to relook at this. That is what I would desire as opposed to imposing my particular interpretation on that passage and so on. So like this one as well, my view is that I think it's right and proper that a man would lead in the service in prayer and close in prayer, right? Um, And I would not change that um, because it's not something we've been practicing in that church, a church over almost 50 years, right? I wouldn't want to do that. That could create a problem. 
Thank you to the individual <coughs> who sent in that question. Anything else you want to mention before we move no, on? No, I guess. Oh, okay. the other thing is that uh, it, Paul mentioned two things about the woman uh, praying and prophesying. Yeah. Some people take that to mean that she was preaching, prophesying and, and pastoring and, and, and so on. It's called two completely different things. And remember that... Um, in this particular passage, uh, Paul deals with gifts. The prophesying in, in those days was a, a unique gift given to a person who received direct revelation. That's long before we had the Bible. So um, the situation today does not pertain to that. So the idea that because a woman prophesied then, uh, therefore she has a right to preach now and to pastor, we're dealing with two different things altogether. But that's another issue. I just want to clarify that matter as well. Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. The next question is one that carries over from last week's episode. Why did the Lord preach to the spirits? And this comes from 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 19, which reads, By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. What would be your explanation for that, Pastor? Well, I'd like you to read from verse 18 first before we uh, yeah. begin to deal with that. First Peter 3.18, if you're wanting to follow along in your own Bible and make notes in the margin. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just or the unjust, <coughs> that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And then verse 19 by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Right. Uh, first of all, let me just say that this is one of those very difficult passages of interpretation. Matter of fact, I was reviewing, looking at it, and I found that there are over seven different interpretations of this one verse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was really, really uh, surprised that there were so many different interpretations. And it's one of those verses that... Um, raises a lot of intriguing and baffling questions. For example, who are these spirits in prison that he went in and, and preached to? Where is this prison where he went and preached? Uh, when did Christ go and preach to them? And of course, what was his message to them? Those are kind of intriguing questions around the this, this same, this same thing. I think the key to understanding First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 19, is first of all, you've got to grasp the overall context of what Peter is, what is the book of Peter is all about, because uh, what Peter is sharing here relates to what is his general theme in, in the book. Uh, if I, for what Peter is doing basically is that uh, he's writing to Christians who are suffering, and he's trying to encourage them, and the way he's trying to encourage them is using Christ as an example. And he wants to show what Christ has done for them. And uh, you'll, that's why as you read verse number 18 first, one of the things that he is showing is that Christ suffered for them. They're suffering, and he wants to know that Christ is suffering. And as a result of that suffering, he wants to show you what were the consequences of the results of that suffering. And, of course, one of the things of his suffering is that he brought about salvific uh, redemption for us, uh, that we were, we were saved, and um, his death brought about our atonement. But the other thing that Peter is saying, it just didn't stop there. In other words, Christ's death brought salvation. But not only did he die, he was resurrected. That's the point he's making here, that he suffered in the flesh, but he was raised uh, in the spirit, in the realm of the spirit. And then he points out that in the spirit, he now goes and he preaches to these spirits in prison. 
Uh, and what he, what he's trained, and remember, it's all about trying to encouraging suffering Christians. So how is this going to encourage them? Now, well, we can understand his suffering for us and bring about redemption that that would encourage right. them, and also the fact that he suffered, they're going to suffer. But he's also wanting to encourage them by showing the victory he had, not just in his death, but in his resurrection. And what this teaches basically that in his resurrection. He went and preached to the spirits in prison and delivered to them. And the word, um, there's a word that is used there. Um, read it again, please. Uh, verse 18? Yeah, 19, 19. Verse 19, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Okay, read the next verse. Which sometimes were disobedient, uh-huh. when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Okay, let's stop there for just a moment. So what he's teaching here now that Christ in spirit went to the spirits in prison and uh, and the word the word preached there is not the word u evangelion which means to preach good tidings or to preach the gospel the word is caruso okay. to make a declaration see a proclamation a public proclamation okay. so I'm going to just show you quickly but what happened is that what apparently Peter is saying that after by his death he brought salvation to us he suffered for us but he didn't just die he was raised and he went and he preached and he made a declaration and what it is believed is that the spirits in prison that he went and spoke to were the fallen angelic beings that had um, went in onto the daughters of women Mm -hmm. and brought about these nephilims these, these giants these are the spirits that he went and declared his complete victory uh, of over evil and conquest over these fallen forces, satanic forces. So it's a public declaration of victory. So this would encourage the believers as well, not only in his death, but in his resurrection power, he goes and he declares a proclamation of complete victory over all evil spirits, basically. That's what is believed. Let me tell you why. Um, uh, first of all, if you look at First um, Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, you see that he's writing to suffering believers. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more <coughs> precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Right, so clearly now he's talking about the fact they've got a fiery trial coming. The word trial there is testing, so they're going to it. But not only that, uh, that's only one verse. If you look at chapter 3, verse 13 to 17, you'll see again he makes this reference to this trial, this persecution that they're going through. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you (coughs) with meekness and fear. (coughs) Having good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you, your good conversation in Christ. Right. 
the general t- um, trend there, Nathan, is the same thing, that they're being under great trial, people accusing them, they're going through this time of persecution. I just want to establish that that's the, that's the theme, that's the topic that he's dealing with. Look at another verse, chapter 4, verse 12 to 19. Chapter 4, 12 to 19 yeah. uh-huh. says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Verse 15 says... Okay, we can stop there, Nathan, yeah. if you don't mind. Uh, but again, the fiery trial is being mentioned there. And the whole the whole theme there is that the same, he's repeating the same thing. They're going through difficulty. One other verse, chapter 5, verse 9. 5, 9 says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Right. He's drawing a parallel that they're not the only ones suffering. Other believers are suffering mm-hmm. as well. So he's trying, everything he's saying is trying to encourage them. That's one way he's encouraging them. He's telling them everybody f- believers suffer, generally speaking. But he's also using Christ as the incentive to encourage and to lift their spirits. And he did that by showing that they have salvation through his suffering, uh, but not only in his death, his resurrection. And he went, but let me show you, the, what spirits then are these that he went to? Look at Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Second Peter chapter 2, two verse, four, verse and five. 4 and 5 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of ungodly. You'll notice that it's talk about these, these, uh, these fallen angelic beings are kept in chains. They're imprisoned. Okay, that's the whole idea. They put. Then look at Jude 6. Jude only has one chapter, Jude 6. Jude 6 says, And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the day of judgment of the great day. These are the fallen angelic beings that I mentioned in Genesis chapter 6 that... um, crossed the boundaries that God has set and went in onto women and created what is called the, the Nephilims. These have been reserved and imprisoned and kept uh, under, under um, divine supervision, quite as it were, that they couldn't, can't escape. And if you look at, um, go back to Peter chapter 3, look at verse number 20. First Peter or Second Peter? First Peter. First Peter 3 and verse 20. While I'm turning there, you referenced the Nephilims. Mm-hmm. Would they have had a soul? Do what? With the Nephilims, the offspring of the angels, and you're I'm get, putting you in yeah, a Yeah, yeah, you're, get, you're getting into the realm of speculation. Now, all I all I know that, quite frankly, is very, very clear that the God has set a, an order that there should not be a mingling between man and and these these angelic beings. Yeah. But these fallen angelic beings. Now, I know the Bible says that. Uh, in heaven, we're not given in marriage. But again, you're dealing with be, uh, righteous angels. You're not dealing with fallen, evil angels. Yeah. So different thing altogether. But it is very, very clear uh, to me 
that they did committed a sin that God decided that they could not be forgiven. And one of the great sins they committed is crossing the boundary between these angelic beings and human beings. And we don't know how that procreation took place, but we know as a result of that, the Nephilims were developed. And all of these ancient stories about these great giants, in mythology, there's always some core truth there. And I think that is what has happened to explain all of this mythology about these half-men. I think that's where a lot of this myth came from. But as a result of crossing the boundary, uh, God has reserved these special beings. Now that Christ has triumphed and he's resurrected, mm-hmm. he goes to those very beings and proclaims complete victory over all evil spirits, quite frankly. Now, if you are a believer suffering persecution and... Um, you know that Christ has suffered for you to brought salvation, but then you learn that in his resurrection, he, he goes and he publicly declares his complete triumph over all darkness, quite frankly. That is also a source of encouragement that he, his final victory, it, didn't, it wasn't just his death in his resurrection. He makes this great proclamation of victory and triumph and judgment on these fallen angelic beings. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20 <laughs> says, Which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God awaited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The point amazing that he's pointing who long ago were disobedient. And he relates that to when the time of the, uh, Noah. Oh, you see what I'm saying? That's the yeah, point I'm making, yeah. right? And that's why the, the, the spirits that you're talking about were that whatever is whatever Christ did after his resurrection related to those specific beings in prison and the only beings we know in prison kept in chains are these fallen angelic beings that co-mingled with human Mm. beings during that period of time so that is why um, that's the interpretation that I am more uh, in harmony with but that's not the only interpretation but it makes sense if you're encouraging people you, you don't only he's talking about his death to encourage them but also his life so what he did in his resurrection after his resurrection is to go to that that where it all really led to the complete obliteration of, of the whole planet quite frankly and to declare complete triumph over these fallen angelic beings I mean that would be a source of encouragement in his resurrection he also has victory in his resurrection You're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We still have one hour left in this particular episode of That's Truth, so continue to stay tuned, encourage others to tune in, and send in your question. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 1-268-782-1454. Again, WhatsApp or text 268 7821454 if you are joining us on Facebook you can click on the Facebook live video feed and then right there on your device in the comment section you can send your concerns your questions for Pastor Murphy and we will pass them along to him you can call and ask your question live on the air 268-462-7420 now I just want to apologize to the people on the radio I'm having a problem with my throat so periodically it, it just kicks in very quickly and I don't have the ch- chance to actually adjust to it so my apologies if it, the coughing annoys you I'm so sorry about that Pastor we have Brother Williams calling in Brother Williams, thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening. Good evening, sir. 
Uh, fine, thank you. Uh, all the best for the season and hope you have a good Christmas and hope you treat your wife right. <laughs> yes, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for calling. What can we do for you? Yes, Pastor Mosey, yes, uh, I'd like to explain to me um, Christians, chapter 11, uh-huh. verse 3 to 7, complete. Okay, let me read those for you. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 11, 3 to 7? Yeah. Okay, let me read that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3 says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that hath, that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. Verse 6. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Yes, Pastor uh, Murphy. Yes, sir. I had a discussion about that covering, about the, a woman covering the church. Mm-hmm. And somebody did tell me that it doesn't mean that the woman has to have a head cover. A head cover. It means that the woman is covering of the man. And the man is covering of the woman, mm-hmm. and I disagree that. No, so uh, how, will, how will you explain that to me? Look, um, the, uh, the man, uh, if Paul points out there, if a man has something on his head, very clear. If you put a veil on his head, basically, that's what he's saying. And if you take the, the, the passage literally, uh, a man should not have a veil on his head, but a woman should have. That's what Paul is saying. So it's obviously that she has to have some kind of a wearing. That's why I said in the moment ago that I am a person who believed that a woman should cover her head in church. The problem I'm having, though I'm a pastor, uh, I come, you come into a church and you find that uh, the, the, the church was not taught that. They were taught that the hair is a woman's covering. And uh, so, therefore, there's no need for cover because the hair is a cover. Now, I can show you that from that passage that uh, we can't do it right now because we don't want to take up too much time on that one. But I can show you, quite frankly, hair cannot be the covering. It has to be more than wearing a case of a veil or a hat or something. But, again, uh, as I said, uh, Brother Williams, you've got to know where to pick your battles and where to fight. Uh, I'm not going to split a church over somebody wearing a hat. Just not going to split the church over that. All I can do as a pastor is preach the word, and as I teach the word, hopefully uh, people will begin to see the light as far as that teaching is concerned. Uh, so, but clearly, there's a covering that a woman should have in in the case, and especially I would say a married woman, because she has to show the authority of her husband over her. That's the biblical teaching, and that has always been the position of churches for many, many years. Everything has changed today, to be very honest with you. People are just reinterpreting the Bible according to the culture. So in our culture, we don't do that anymore. So therefore, we find an interpretation in the Bible that suits what our, our culture says. That is what is happening. We, the, the Christianity is being a, a, a culturized, if I want to use that term. The culture is changing Christianity. Christianity is not changing the culture. And that's where I don't know what the church will become eventually if it continues down this line. 
because everything today is being on domain, and uh, the church don't seem to understand what is happening. It wants to be relevant. It wants to get people come to church. It wants to reach out to people. And it feels the way best to do that is to fall in line with what the culture wants. You end up there where you have a church full of cultural people, but not Christian people. And that's where it ends up, right? We're in, we're in serious trouble. I mean, when I, I mean, we're in dire trouble as a, as a, as a church uh, today. And uh, there has to be, something has to happen that we turn back this clock and get back to biblical Christianity and following the biblical uh, principles. Other than that, uh, we're going to have a Christianity that becomes a social club. And the only distinction between the social club and Christianity is going to be that we sing songs, they play music and ungodly music, uh, and so on. But it, it's, 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 it's pathetic where we're headed. And I'm deeply concerned at the level of apostasy that's taken over all the major denominations, including certain Baptist groups, by the way. So I'm not just discounting the Baptist uh, groups, but that's what's happening. Okay, well, that's my question. That question yes, sir. Um, well, I was feeling that you have taken a woman preaching the gospel in church or pastoring a church. Well, my position on that is well known, and it, it's, it's, we've done that on, on this program before. A woman is not given the authority to preach in a church. That is clearly stated in the Bible, and it's found in Timothy. And Paul gives two reasons why that must not happen. Number one, the order of creation. It has nothing to do with the culture. The order of creation. Man was created first. He is the authority. He's the authority in the home. He's the authority in the church. And by the way, he, uh, if you can't read the Bible, don't understand that men were supposed to lead, lead the, the, the country and the government as well. It's there, clearly. You, you have some exceptions, but that is not the norm. As a matter of fact, one of the things that God says in about the, the tell the Jews that one of the signs that they've really gone away from God and God is cursing the country and uh, <coughs> and uh, bringing judgment is that women will want their rule. But um, Timothy gives, um, Paul gives um, the order of creation, and he also talks about the fall, the woman's role in the fall. Um, because of her, um, she became the channel through which man fell because of the inclination to be influenced by conversation language <coughs> the Lord said that um, Paul said that because of this a woman should not exercise authority nor rule over man that's the biblical teaching that doesn't change it's nothing to do with culture something two, two historical events as a reason for a woman not being given the role of a pastor Brother Williams thank you very much for the call and have a Merry Christmas and stay safe and continue to listen to the Radio Lighthouse and specifically That's Truth. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Yeah, one other thing, Mr. Williams, if you're still listening. The other thing is this. The biblical qualifications for a, a, a pastor is that he must be the husband of one wife. So it's very, very, very clear that he cannot be a female. It has to be a male. And that, that qualification might be given both in Titus and in Timothy. If you're interested in more information about that particular topic, you can go to our website, radiolighthouse.org. 
and scroll down to the second large photo that you see. It is a broadcast microphone. You can't miss it. Right in the middle of the screen when you see that photo, there's a circle that says podcast. <laughs> Click on that. And then there are four podcasts you can choose from that we produce here at the Radio Lighthouse. Choose, I believe it's the first one there. It's called That's Truth. Click on the archive link and go to episode number six, zero six. And that is entitled Roles of Men and Women in the Church. And that is a full episode that is produced uh, just for the topic of women in the church. We are going to continue uh, with a question here. Uh, Pastor, this one comes from another island in the Caribbean. Pastor, it's not all of the ministers in the Anglican church that are wrong. We have a minister of the Anglican Church here on my island that teaches us how to live with one another, how to be loving and caring. Don't hate your neighbor, don't commit adultery, and other things that he is teaching us. Um, what are your thoughts along those lines in response to that? Well, I know uh, for sure that when I talk about these major denominations that have apostatized and gone away from the faith, there are always pockets of individuals within these denominations that are um, still solid. I'm aware of that, okay? What I am concerned about is that you've got churches where they have good ministers of the gospel who still preach the gospel, still teach the Bible, but they are part of a organization that teaches the very contrary. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in creation. They don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in resurrection. They think that Genesis is, is mythology. How can you stay in an organization uh, that is teaching that which is contrary to Scripture? That's the point I'm making. So you can have uh, uh, pockets within the Anglican Church that you still have men who believe in the Bible and teach the Bible. But the denomination as a whole has apostatized. What those churches need to do is to come out of those organizations because as long as you remain in those organizations, how can I, be, how can I fellowship with another church where the pastor don't believe the Bible, he doesn't believe in creation. He doesn't believe in the virgin birth. He doesn't believe in the resurrection. He doesn't believe in Genesis 3 and Genesis um, the fall. What fellowship do I have with a heathen like that? And that's the point I'm making. The other thing I would say to the person who sent in, I appreciate it so much. You mentioned that you have a good minister. I'm not going to dispute that because I'm not there. I don't know the person. I'm assuming that you're right. But what you told me and what you mentioned here really only has to do with morals. You said that it tells you how to live good, how to be loving and caring, how not to hate, uh, how not to commit adultery, etc., etc. Those are moral issues. Those are not doctrinal issues. My question to you is to ask that same pastor, do you believe in creation or do you believe in evolution? Now, you'd be surprised that there are many in the Anglican Church who no longer believe in creation, who embrace evolution. I, I can tell you that as a fact, okay? So what, even though he's teaching you good morality, the fact that he doesn't believe in creation 
He's a lost man, completely lost man. Ask him, does he believe in the virgin birth? If he doesn't believe in the virgin birth, he doesn't have a Savior that can redeem. He got a Savior who was a sinner. Hmm. Does he believe in the resurrection? If he doesn't believe in he doesn't have any Savior at all. He's not justified because Christ was raised to justify us. Does he believe in the atonement, the atonement death of Christ? Does he believe in Adam and Eve, that they were real persons or they were just myths? But if you don't have an Adam and Eve who was a historical person, you completely destroy the historical Christ because he's the second Adam. So I'm not too very concerned about the fact that he teaches good morality. Even good moral people could teach you good morality. What I am concerned is that, does he believe the basic biblical fundamental doctrines of the Scripture? And here's another one. Does he believe the Bible is the Word of God? And here's another one. Does he believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? You ask your minister those kind of questions, and then you come back and say to me, Pastor, yes, my pastor believes that. I would commend your pastor, but still... I would ask you as a church, why would you remain in a denomination where the head of your denomination uh, no longer believes in the atonement, no longer believes in Adam and Eve, that they were historical persons, no longer believe in the resurrection, no longer believe in the virgin. Why would you belong remain in the organization? Why do you not come out separate as a church and be a voice for God against that kind of apostasy? That's the point I'm making. So I know that there would be good ministers in every church, every denomination. My condemnation of those people are that they remain in the denomination, even though the denomination has gone away from the truth and teaching error. And in a lot of cases, by the way, thank you, in a lot of cases, this is because of the monetary um, interaction. It's like like a corporate program where pension is dependent Mm -hmm. on volume. So you can't rock the boat because if you rock the boat, the denomination fails. I may not get a pension. I may not get a salary. So it's, 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 the Bible said the love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah. Never forget that. You cannot name any kind of evil, past or present, that monetary money factor is not involved in it. I don't care what you mention. There's always this money aspect of it. And that's the curse of people who hold to the truth but yet compromise the truth to remain in the denomination because their pension depends upon it. The Bible says, separate from these people, come out from among them. That's the biblical doctrine. Don't remain because they're neutralizing your witness and they're going against the very scriptures that you preach and you believe in. That's that's what I mean. But I I don't doubt that uh, this person and their churches uh, would still have good pastors in that. My problem is they're remaining in the denomination when the denomination has gone away from the faith. That's the point. Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. Now, Pastor, you said something there that uh, I want to clarify. You referenced the possibility that a pastor or a minister may not be saved. Can you elaborate on that? That sounds a little bit... I'm not afraid of making some statements that a lot of people might be terrified that I make them. A man cannot be saved if he does not believe in creation. There's absolutely no way he can be saved. Because everything about redemption depends on creation and the fall. A man cannot be saved who does not believe in Adam and Eve were literal persons and that they fell. I don't care who he is. I don't care what education he's got. 
Okay. A man cannot be saved who does not believe in the virgin birth. A man cannot be saved who does not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And a man cannot be saved who does not believe in the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ. I don't care what school he went to. I don't know how many degrees he's got. No one in that condition is saved. They're lost. It's just that they're blinded to the fact that because they're not... The scripture is what will convict you through the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not education that's going to convict you. It's the scriptures. And people in those positions have gone away from the scriptures and no longer believe the scriptures. They are lost and doomed. There's no question about And let me go a little bit further, Nathan. I do not believe that people who claim to be homosexuals and lesbians and transgender and who are practicing those things are saved either. They have not repented of the sins, which is the basic requirement of salvation. Repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. People who live those lifestyles and continue living the lifestyles have not repented of their sins. They are not saved. And I don't know why people go to the Bible and don't understand. And, well, pastor, you shouldn't say that because you're intolerant and you're, you're harsh. and so doesn't move me one bit. As Martin Luther said, my mind is held captive to Scripture. I can do no other God helping me. But what I'm very concerned about is the lackadaisical attitude people hold towards the Bible within Christian circles and the idea that the highest virtue is tolerance. I repeat, I agree with John MacArthur, the highest virtue is righteousness. That's what God wants and that's what God needs. I would rather be righteous than, than tolerant. Okay? That's what I, I hope that clarifies uh, certain matters on, on these issues. A WhatsApp question that's come from me, Antigua. Good night, Pastor. Why did Jesus give the message to a woman after he was resurrected and not a disciple? Well, again, we can only enter the realm of speculation. Uh, in, in the case of the women, they seem to be far more courageous than the men were. And it is most likely that the men were in danger uh, of their lives rather than the women, quite frankly. So it is very. What seems to have happened is that all these men disappeared, including Big Mouth Peter, who put his foot in his mouth. You know, <laughs> you know. I I would never deny you. The Lord said, you know, before the cock crows, you deny me thrice. And he said, not not. You know, it's not going to happen. But the, the reality is that the men became cowards. The women were courageous. So they're the ones that went to the tomb. So the master used who was there to carry the message back to the disciples. It doesn't mean that because he, he chose her, now she becomes a preacher. And that is the inference that is, 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 is derived from that, which is not a proper inference. The, the Bible has to inform what, what incident of that nature is not a basis for giving women the authority to preach or whatever it is. You know, they say, well, she declared the glad tidings of the resurrection. What's the gospel declaring the glad? But you now have the epistles, which works out the doctrine of Christ and the teaching of Christ to the church. So you just can't take one verse of Scripture to establish a doctrine. And that's the mistake people make all the time. You find out what is the biblical standard and what the Bible requires for the church, for pastors, for deacons. That is only given after the resurrection. Nothing is dealt with before. Right, And that's because the Holy Spirit would come and He would guide you into all truth. So, the reason I can give you why He gave the message to the women is because the men were cowards. They were hiding in, 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 their, in their cubbies, holes, whatever it is, uh, trying to avoid the authorities because they think they might suffer the same fate that Christ suffered. The women, on the other hand, demonstrated tremendous boldness. 
and going to the tomb and saw Christ. So go and tell Peter that I'm risen. Um, but she is a human instrument that is used for that purpose. It's like in the Old Testament. Deborah is used because Barak was a coward. Read it again. He is called Barak to be the judge, but Barak said, you know, I can't. And then the Lord said, okay, I'll give this. She, Deborah would go with you, right? But he was supposed to be the leader. And there, by the way, if I go another way, uh, when I uh, missionaries came to our country, um, the women, um, very godly women, taught the men. I mean, what, what are they supposed to do? You know, they're the women missionaries, and they're the ones declaring uh, the gospel, basically, and, and, and so on. They didn't preach, but they taught. And again, they're going against the—they're not pastors, but they're missionaries. And once the men got to a certain age and were mature enough, they let the men do the teaching and do the preaching. See, that that's how it works. And that's how it works with the Lord as well. Uh, he uses instruments, and sometimes there are exceptions to the rule that God uses. But the, the exception is not the standard, right? And that needs to be borne in mind. So I hope uh, that helps the person to get a... a, a but I, and this, I that's a question, Nathan, that comes often, that the women were the first one to declare the glad tidings, basically the, the good news of the resurrection. Therefore, they're the ones who should be given the right to preach again. But again, that's completely ignoring the biblical teaching as God explains what the church should be and how the church should operate and how should, how should lead the church in the Pauline epistles and the uh, Petrine epistles and the Johannine epistles. Do you have a question? You can send it in by... WhatsApping or texting 268-782-1454, 268-782-1454. You can call and ask it live on the air. The phone line is open and available. Call 268-462-7420. You can send it to us on WhatsApp, I mean, excuse me, on Facebook, uh, you can join us by going to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and then right there in the comment section under the video feed, you can send your question, and we'll pass it along to Pastor Murphy. As we await your question, we are going to continue a topic that we have been discussing for a number of weeks now, that of biblical separation, and specifically, we're now delving into the area of ecclesiastical separation. Pastor, what does that word mean, ecclesiastical? Well, well the word ecclesiastical means church. So when we talk about ecclesiastical separation, we're talking about there are times when you have to separate from a church, um, even within a, a denomination. And there are churches that uh, were formerly part of a denomination. That denomination went bad, and churches withdrew from that church, that denomination, and started another group of like believers. Uh, so ecclesiastical separation has to do with the fact that we might need to separate from churches, church from church, and individuals from church as well. Now, is that just a personal preference, or is there a biblical basis for this? No, it's a biblical basis for that, because there are several verses in Scripture that indicates that there are times when we need to withdraw ourselves, and uh, etc. One of the great passages, Nathan, I think you might want to read that again, is Corinthians chapter 6, verse uh, 11, I think it starts. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Second Corinthians six eleven says, "O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you; our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels." Maybe First Corinthians six. Uh, 
uh, you verse, read verse 11? Uh, verse 11 and 12. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak unto you, my children, be ye also enlarged. Uh, uh, let, me just, let me just check out the reference here. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse broadcasting from the island of Antigua, 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at org, And you can also join us on Facebook for this program every Tuesday evening from 7.30 to 9. If you're not able to join us live during the program, you can listen to the podcast on our website, radiolighthouse.org. Or you can listen to the rebroadcast on Saturday afternoons from 3.30 until 5 p.m. each Saturday afternoon. It's 14. Second um, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Second Corinthians 6.14 <coughs> says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with him an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them. Be ye separate. Yeah. Notice what an unbeliever, an infidel, that's the point I make about pastors. There are some men that were supposed to believe in God, believe in the scriptures, believe in the fundamental doctrines. They have now gone away from those biblical doctrines. They're unbelievers, they're infidels. And that's where uh, people who belong to a church like that now come out of that church. That's why I asked the, the person there, you know, when you talk to your, your priest, your Anglican priest, or whoever the person is, don't just tell me that he teaches morality. But asking those fundamental questions, was Adam and Eve a real person? Did God create? Did Christ die? Did Christ resurrect? Did, did, was his virgin birth? Did his death, atoning death, satisfy God so that God can now uh, forgive men and justify? Those are the questions you, you ask him. And you might be discover, discover that he once believed that. And you might have heard a sermon like that 10 years ago, but he no longer believes that. He's mm-hmm. now become modernized. And that's why, not just because he teaches you to not commit adultery, to be kind and nice, and no, any moral person can teach that. But that doesn't save you. It's the, what you believe in, the doctrine you believe in, that saves. And uh, the same thing here. When you find a, a, a pastor, a uh, church, and you find that either the church goes away from biblical truth or the pastor goes away from biblical truth, you remove yourself. You don't stay in those churches. Um, I think I mentioned before that Martin Luther and all the reformers never planned to leave the Catholic Church. Their plan was to reform the Catholic Church. But you can't reform the Catholic Church. It's impossible, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually they realized that we can't change this thing. We had to come out. And that's where this. But the plan was never, never, ever to leave the Catholic Church. It was to try to reform the Catholic Church. And uh, there are people who believe that uh, with their church going bad, they can reform. You can't reform. Come out. The biblical command is to come out from the infidel. Come out from the unbeliever. Separate from them. Uh, don't commingle with them. They are more likely to change you than you change them. So come out. Come out. Come out. Come out. WhatsApp question that comes in from the Southern Caribbean. Good night, Pastor. I have a question. Is it right for a Christian to have a Christmas tree? Well, be honest with you, uh, as I said before, uh, when you trace the whole history of, of Christmas, we all recognize that 
it does have uh, pagan roots in terms of the the paraphernalia that we use during Christmas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, again, um, I don't have a problem with the Christmas tree. I, to my mind, my mind has sanitized Christmas tree a long time ago. Okay, it's just a, a decorative thing of um, you know, it's it has no a wreath it, on the door. Yeah, it doesn't have any symbolism to me whatsoever, other than as a decoration for me. To be honest with you, do you pl- think it has symbolism in the secular world as far as pagan? I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know if it has any symbolism. If this person feels guilty about it, yeah. their conscience bothered them, they should never use a Christmas tree. For me, my conscience don't bother me. This is one of those great areas where there's no command on or uh, tell you you shouldn't have a Christmas tree. It's not there. It's one of those things where you have Christian liberty and Christian freedom. And if your conscience doesn't bother you and respect this matter, I don't have a problem with it. As a matter of fact, I have a Christmas tree in my home that somebody sent me about, this is no joke, uh, I would think almost 30 years ago, same Christmas tree I've been using for the last, uh, seriously. I hope it's an artificial tree. It's an artificial <laughs> tree, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I use it, been using it in many years. Yeah. And we just do it every year. You know, we yep. do it for the children, to be honest yep. with you, for the Christmas trees, put on presents, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't talk, we talk about Jesus, we talk about Christ, we don't talk about the Christmas tree. Right. It's just an ornament. Uh, so I don't have a problem with it. But again, I would say to the person who asked the question, if your conscience bothers you in connection with this matter, to go against your conscience is, 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 is to sin. Uh, if you think it should not be, but don't go around telling everybody that they shouldn't wear a Christmas tree because it's pagan, etc., etc. Um, it's gone beyond uh, your, your borders in that respect. So it's a Christian gray area. Yeah, it's a Christian yeah. gray area. And uh, a lot too has to do with the cultural upbringing here in, in, in the West, for example. Um, in, in also in, in uh, I, I, I suppose also in Christian circles um, every year when we had a function in our church um, going back from the time missionaries were there we would always have uh, a Christmas play yeah. and uh, where we would do the nativity scene and uh, do something modernized whatever it is but the whole idea was to teach about Christ, teach about uh, why he came, etc., etc. And we would always have some kind of a little Christmas tree with some kind of presents for those who attended and stuff like that. I see nothing wrong with it, to be honest with you. And there is an episode, at least one episode, that Pastor has done on the topic of Christian gray area. I have not found it yet, but I will get that to you before the end of this episode and tell you specifically what episode to look for Again, Christian Gray Areas covers a whole lot more than just whether or not to have a Christmas tree. But um, I think, uh, again, not to intrude on your answer, Pastor, but I think it's a great opportunity in the day and age that we live when so many people are distracted to be able to focus, even in the secular world, when you're waiting in a line at a store, Mm -hmm. to focus them to Christ. I find it easier to do that at Christmas and at Easter time than it is any other time of the year. I didn't think about that, but that's right, because when I don't have anybody in the West that when they think of Christmas, they don't think about Christ, to be honest right. with you. Yeah. I don't know. And, and uh, so I, I, I think it's a really uh, it's focus on him. What I think happens, Nathan, here is that a lot of the cults grab on to things like this and to try to make that their religion is somehow very distinctive. Okay. Right? But here's it. They grab on to something like that, but their errors in their doctrine are so blasphemous that they focus on this and get people distracted 
on this particular matter, where you ignore all these other false teachings that they have. See, that's what the cults do. They look for something that they can get a, a stronghold on, and uh, so that people are distracted from all the false teaching and the false doctrines that they have. That's like the JW. They will tell you you can't have a Christmas tree. But think of the errors they have, that Christ is a created person. He's not divine. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a person. Think about that for just a moment. I mean, you just think about the, the, the Holy Spirit not a person. He's a thing. He's a, he's a, he's a force, etc., etc. That's just part of their error. The 144,000 are not Jews, but they're 144,000 Jehovah's Witness. And only those 144,000 are going to heaven. All of those major errors, there's no place for Israel in the future in terms of Bible prophecy. I'm just using that example yeah. because they're the ones that would push this idea that, you know, Christmas tree is a uh, pagan idea, etc. But look at all the massive errors that they teach in this regard. And by the way, if Jesus Christ is not fully God, I don't know how you have redemption that is fully satisfactory because mm. only God can, can satisfy God. So you've got a deficient Savior if, if he's not uh, God and man at the same time. If you would like to hear a whole episode on the topic of Christian gray areas and how to discern through that Christian liberty and all, uh, you can go to Google and just type in That's Truth Podcast choose your preferred provider or you can go to our website radiolighthouse.org scroll down to the picture of the microphone click on the circle that says podcast click on the link for that's truth podcast in the archive and look for episode 34 it's entitled christian gray areas some very useful practical information for you that will assist you not just during the christmas season but around the year Keep your radio dial tuned to CRL. We are talking specifically tonight as we wait for your question. We are talking about biblical ecclesiastical separation. Coming out and separating from your church or denomination. Why? If there is doctrinal error. How do you determine, Pastor, if it's a little bit of doctrine, a lot of doctrine? How much doctrine needs to be wrong before I separate? <coughs> well, I Christians have all made a distinction between what they call the fundamentals. Okay. There are fundamental doctrines that there's no dilly-dallying, there's no compromise here at all, there's no uh, no way we can accommodate uh, people holding the... And, and those fundamental doctrines would be creation, inspiration, the Bible, uh, the virgin birth, the resurrection of Christ, the atonement, uh, hell, judgment. Uh, those are the basic fundamental doctrines that... Uh, and, and, of course, the, the atonement. Right? Those are the fundamental doctrines that people have to agree on. You can't have a person who doesn't... If a man doesn't believe in creation, how do you believe the Bible? Hmm. From Genesis to Revelations, we are told that God created through His Son. When you put evolution in place, you've replaced Christ with evolution. So if you don't have a, 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 a defense uh, that brought um, the Christ to the cross, is a fence against the Creator that made you. So if evolution created you, where's the offense, right? And how could there be, and of course you believe in evolution, they believe that death occurred before uh, sin. Yeah. The Bible makes clear that death occurred after sin. So I don't see how anybody can entertain the idea of evolution as a Christian and still be biblically saved. It doesn't make any sense to me, quite frankly. Uh, but I think what has happened is that we're afraid of making statements because 
somebody might get on the radio and criticize you. I, I couldn't care less, Nathan. I want to be I want to be a person who holds the scripture, the truth of scripture. And I don't care who criticized or who condemned. That's immaterial to me. Because I'm going to be held responsible for declaring truth and combating error. Right? And I must combat error wherever I find error. That doesn't mean I hate anybody or dislike anybody. Uh, that's not the point. The point is we must take a stand for biblical truth, biblical Christianity, and we must not compromise biblical Christianity in order to be considered to be tolerant and um, relevant. We must not do that as Christians. Now, we were looking at particular passages, biblical passages, that deal with the command or the instruction to separate from false teachers, separate from uh, apostate churches. I was reading in Second Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, are anything else you want to mention in relation to that? Yeah, the, another verse I think is interesting is uh, Romans sixteen seventeen. Romans sixteen seventeen reads as follows. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Yeah, again, them, doesn't matter who they are. Mark them and uh, avoid them. Uh, who calls any contrary to the doctrine of the traditions you've What's the doctrine and tradition we receive? The Bible. That's the doctrine and tradition that we receive. People who go against that teaching, mark them, avoid them, have nothing to do with them. That's the biblicality. We don't accommodate them and dialogue with them and and uh, and, and accommodate them because they have a different uh, view on this and this and this. No, absolutely not. We have we know what the fundamentals are of the scriptures. We know what's important in, in this regard. We hold to those fundamentals and we don't budge on them. Doesn't matter who that person is. We don't budge on them and we're not going to accommodate. But notice you're going to mark them and avoid them. Uh, and notice the word them is not just, you know, whoever they are, irrespective. If they go contrary to the doctrine, the tradition that we receive in scripture, we just abominate them. We don't have anything to do with them, etc. One other verse uh, I think is interesting, Nathan, is um, look at Revelation um, 18.4, I think it is. Revelation 18.4 says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not her plagues. Yeah, that, no, that is talking in the future with the apostate church. Uh, that becomes the ecumenical hodgepodge where all religions are now joined together. Uh, the Lord is asking His people to come out, come out of those, come out of, of the, that apostate church. We don't have time to go through that in Revelation chapter 18, but that's the what is called the great whore in Revelation. Uh, and this, by the way, if we do a description of that uh, great whore, which is seen as a woman. Uh, quite frankly, it is going to be, and we'll probably do a, a, um, a program on this, it is going to be Rome bringing all religions together. And that's where she's headed today, by the way. The Pope goes into the the um, the Hindu temple and he prays. He goes into the, the Buddhist temple and he prays. The whole idea is that we all believe the same God. Uh, there is not one within many ways to God. That's what the the Catholic Church, but what the Catholic Church wants is that you come under our umbrella, see, and that's what's going to happen eventually. Because if you've been reading it, uh, studying the World Council of Churches, there is now a merging of 
uh, Hindus, Muslims, um, even nature religions, ab- Aborigines, all of those religions are now coming to these conferences, and they are doing their own worship. Uh, and it's called the World Council of Churches, right? But that's where we're headed. We're headed to the direction where we, one religion is where we're headed. Uh, we must stay out of that. We must not be part of that apostate system, right? And what these religious leaders are constantly saying of all these major denominations, there's no longer one way to God. There are many ways to God. And the other thing is we are all serving the same God, but we're just using a different name, right? We all got core beliefs that are similar. That's what is bringing this, cementing this massive group together. But the Bible says we must separate from these things. And our Lord said, don't come out from among her, my people. You don't want to be part of this ecumenical system with all these apostate teachers, etc., etc. Is it possible that I could have grown up in a church my parents were in the church. My grandparents were in the church. The church was <clears throat> biblical. They were teaching the Bible. And now in more recent, the last five years or the last year, they have, that even a denomination has become apostate and that I now need to separate? Yeah, Nathan, this is just, this, this didn't happen. Five years is not. This thing started in the 19th century with German um, theologians completely undermining biblical authority with um, uh, called textual criticism and, and all this higher criticism, etc., etc., where they were examining the books of the Bible, saying Moses couldn't write this and this couldn't happen, these miracles couldn't happen. It all started in Germany. And then, of course, it went over to England. And from England, it went over to America. And now from America, it is beginning to spread. So this is something that's happened quite a while. A lot of these denominations were good denominations, Solid denominations, right? Uh, but again, like everything else, unless people are vigilant and hold to Scripture, I repeat, vigilant and hold to Scripture, not personalities, okay? Not our loyalty to the denomination, our loyalty to God and Scripture. And that's where the problem lies, that a lot of people who were part of these churches for a long time, they themselves are not Bible readers. They themselves don't have any sp- uh, person's spiritual life they go on with the church and go on with the church and before they know it they don't even care what the church believes any longer they just take whatever the pastor says and there are a lot of people in that position and part of the reason why they got into that position is because these people who are attending church they're attending church but the Bible plays no vital part in their lives no role in their lives whatsoever as a result the denomination becomes corrupt it becomes apostate and uh, it becomes well something we've been doing for so long, we might as well just continue down this line. And even if you were to show them where their denomination is teaching error and gone away from error, well, you know what? My great-grandmother used to go here. My grandmother used to go there. And uh, I've been going here for the last 30 years. Therefore, uh, I think this is a church I belong to. The loyalty is not to God and the Scripture. The loyalty is to the denomination. Uh, and I, I think that's part of the big error. But no question about it. A lot of these churches that are now gone rogue were good churches, uh, good preachers. But over time, uh, the wrong person was brought into the church. People accommodated them, and the other person, before you know it, and a lot of time too, Nathan, is that I don't think people check the credentials of the people who, who, like, for example, if you belong to a a denomination which circulates the pastors, right? Uh, It's not the church that decides that is the denomination that decides you spend two years here and then move you 
right? The people are not given a chance to examine the person in terms of their faith. Mm. Ask them questions about the scriptures, ask them questions, you know, those kind of things, which you can't do in a Baptist church if you want to become a pastor of the Baptist churches. In most cases, you have to meet with the church. The church needs to ask you questions. In a lot of cases, that doesn't happen in churches. They just get these people being switched all around. And uh, a lot of these people are apostates. But you don't even know that. So, and the guy you started off with might be the good guys. You think the guy you're going to send you will continue? And many, many times, this thing enters very gradually. It's like leaven that leavens the whole lump, and it takes a period of time. A couple of questions that have come <coughs> in. Thank you to individuals who have called in or who have sent their messages via WhatsApp or text. Uh, Pastor Codrington called in. He's not going on the air, but he had a question about a dream that he had. In his dream, he saw Mary sitting down by a corner looking at his house. He would like you to explain what that means. I think you, uh, you, you, you're sure you didn't have too much to eat uh, before you went to sleep, you know. I think, Mr. Codrington, I can't, I don't know if I can ever move you from your position, but you're too wrapped up in Mary is an idol. Mary cannot help you. I repeat, Mary cannot help you. The only person who can help you is Jesus Christ. And uh, I can't interpret what the dream is uh, to you. Uh, but you are so much enamored with Mary, I would imagine that it plays somehow in your fancy. Maybe you watch a movie somewhere that connects somebody looking at a house and then Mary takes over that part in your subconscious. I don't have a slightest clue. All I would say to you is to transfer your devotion to Mary, to Jesus Christ. If you want to be truly secure and safe and guaranteed uh, entrance into, into heaven, Put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. Leave Mary where Mary is, dead, okay? Leave her where she is, dead. And one day she will be resurrected. She did not assume and go up to heaven either. She's not reigning in heaven as queen either, as the Catholic Church teaches. All of these errors, and you've been taught this perhaps from the time you were a child right now. It's very difficult for you to move away from it. But I'm asking you to search the scriptures. Look into the scriptures. Mary said, I rejoice in God my Savior. The only person who needs a Savior is a sinner. Right? So she's acknowledging that she's a sinner. And she needed a Savior who is Jesus Christ. You don't turn to a sinner, even though that sinner is born again. For help, you turn to Christ, the living Christ, who became human flesh, so that he might be a sympathizing high priest to answer to your needs in time of of need. Uh, That's what the Bible presents Christ. So just forget about this, Mary. Forget about the dream. Get into the Word and find the Christ of the Bible and transfer your devotion and loyalty to Him and you will let let Him work in your life. I want to clarify something you said. You said, if you want to be guaranteed entrance into heaven, or I forget how you worded that, if you want to be guaranteed put Christ where you've put Mary. But is there any hope of getting into Christ, into heaven if you have Mary in too high of a place? Is it just for a guarantee or is it... If the, you, no one gets into heaven by believing in Mary. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ said, I am the door. Peter himself says, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must... I remember, he sees the Pope, if you claim that he's the Pope, 
right? He said, there's no other name given under heaven whereby a person can be saved. You're going to be saved through one person, Jesus Christ. That's biblical. That's teaching. So for a church to get people to be depending on a woman, to get them into heaven, is the greatest blasphemy I can think about. Mm. You're damning the souls of people who are depending on a woman. When you should be saying, look to Christ, put your faith and trust in Christ. That's what the church should be teaching. And by the way, think about this, that it is only our church to which you can get to heaven. You don't get to heaven through the church. You get to heaven through Jesus Christ. Amen. These are the errors that have gotten into the psyche of people. And to rip those those errors out is becoming very, very difficult. And all I can say to people, get into the Word and let the Holy Spirit teach you these things. And um, let the Holy Spirit confirm that. But, but you need to wake up. You need your eyes need to be open. The eyes sound need to be put in your eyes. Your understanding need to be uh, open. And the only person who do that is the Holy Spirit. Spirit, go into the Word, and let the Holy Spirit do that opening of your eyes for you. WhatsApp question from the Caribbean, Pastor, is Mystery Babylon the USA and not Rome? No, I don't think, in my judgment, I think Mystery Babylon, this is my interpretation, okay, you don't have to agree with it. I don't think America is the Mystery Babylon. I think America is going to implode internally. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if it's going to happen in my generation, but I believe that America is going down. I can't see it. The, the Bible doesn't mention American Bible prophecy anywhere, anywhere. So the question is, why is such a great country? Uh, uh, it's not mentioned in the Bible, especially a country that supports Israel. That's what people are trying to worry about. And the only answer is America has been so blessed. Now she's turning away from God, turning away from the Bible, turning away from everything that is sacred. And no nation that has ever followed God and gone away from God ever lasts. America is doomed for failure. And I cannot believe the, 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 the debt America is in, for example. I, I don't even want to think about it. I don't think anybody can imagine the debt. And they still keep spending money as though they got a money tree somewhere. And I try to figure out who's going to pay all. So what I think is going to happen eventually, the American economy is going to collapse. The world economy is going to collapse. And out of that chaos, there's coming a economic guru, a great orator called the antichrist he's coming as a person who has a solution for the world and i think the world is ready to receive any person who can offer these type of solutions i think the world is to this is being disposed uh, that, it, that we're in trouble we need someone who has answers this one is going to mesmerize the world with his personality and his brilliance his intelligence and, and of course he's going to pretend that he's a spiritual man as well so he has the whole package and I think that is what's going to happen. So I do think that Mystery Babylon is the apostate church of the future. And I think that Rome is the mystery of Babylon. Okay, that's what I think. The other thing is that, um, other possibility that uh, people have, have talked about is that um, we know that Iraq is where Babylon was. And a lot of people believe that uh, one day Iraq will become a, a powerful, and that's where the Antichrist is going to be relocated. And Iraq is one day going to rise uh, out of the ashes, as it were. Um, all speculation, all speculation. But for sure, I see no way that America is mystery Babylon because I see mere America falling. And um, I really think that that is what's going on. And I think anybody looking at the world scene now, looking at the scenario, 
and seeing the stupid decisions that are being made in America, the crazy stuff that's going on. You can't even believe that there are people who are intelligent making these decisions. You're trying to, but wait a minute. I, I am not an American, okay? I'm not an American, but I believe that wherever America goes, the West goes. And that's why I'm very, very concerned. I always like it to be a prosperous country. But I can't believe the craziness that's going on in that country. I, I, it's just like, it's like a veil is over their eyes, and they're destroying themselves and just can't see it. And I think that maybe that God has judicially blinded hmm. the leaders of that country, uh, you know. I really think that uh, they're in real, real trouble. I don't see the way out of it. I really don't see the way out of it. And I think it's going to... And that, I think, that explains the collapse that is coming to what is happening, new economic system where you you have a cashless society. And by the way, even some Americans are talking about um, we should give... Everybody should have a fixed income. So everybody get a, a, a kind of... That's where the, the world seems to be going uh, in this direction. But um, no, I don't think America is the uh, mystery Babylon. Um, I don't see it. Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. Pastor, a question that probably has been in the back of a number of people's minds as we've been talking about ecclesiastical separation. What denominations would you say have apostated from the truth, from the faith? I would say, quite frankly, that when you look at the data and uh, see the information coming out of, especially the leaders of these denominations, there's no question that all the major denominations substantially has apostatized. That has to do with the Anglican Church. Well, I don't talk about the Catholic Church. That has to do with the Episcopal Church, even the Lutheran Church, etc., and the Presbyterian Church as well. But again, there are there are different denominations within the Presbyterian Church, within the Lutheran Church. So not all Lutherans, not all um, Anglican churches, not all Catholic churches, but generally speaking, those within the, the those major denominations. You said not all Catholic churches. No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't mean that. And then the, also Baptists, by the okay. way, there are Baptist denominations that are totally uh, apostatized from the faith. To be very honest with you, so it's not just these ones I'm mentioning. Every major denomination today is in trouble. Uh, and that's because the Bible says they, the, the Lord will not come except they be a falling away. Yeah. And I think this falling away has started in the late 19th century, and now it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. So you're basing this off of your gut feeling, or you have some uh, factual reasons for these statements? No, I got a lot of factual statements, Nathan. That's why I, I really wanted to cover this material, and I wanted to deal with it. Um, spend some time and I, I want to do a lot of quoting I don't, I just want to see what these leaders are saying out of the horse's mouth themselves what they say and these are people who are in prominent roles in these denominations that's what I want to do um, but modernism take, let's take the Anglican Church for okay. just a moment let's begin with that uh, modernism has largely taken over that denomination they're more modernists in that denomination than there are people who are conservative in terms of their faith are concerned. A large percentage of the bishops and the pastors uh, uh, in those churches no longer believe in miracles and no longer believe in fundamental biblical truths. Let me quote uh, Robert Runcie. He was a former Archbishop of Canterbury. Now remember that the Archbishop of Canterbury is a spiritual head of okay. the denomination. He's the one that the head of the denomination, okay? Of the Anglican. Of the Anglican Church. Uh, in an interview, uh, he was asked about the meaning of the cross. 
And uh, this is what he said, Nathan. As to that, I am an agnostic. So he doesn't believe that Jesus Christ's death on the cross had anything to do with atonement. Wow. This is the head of the Anglican Church, right? I mean, for a man to make a statement like that, who is the head of the church? I don't know what to believe. I don't know. What, I don't know if it is true or not true. I don't know believe if his death has to do with, with my atonement or not. That man should have been removed, and if he was not removed, those who hold to the biblical faith should have withdrawn themselves from that denomination. But it cannot be that a man would make a statement like that. He also said in an interview, Nathan, that he felt that Buddhist Buddhism is a proper way to God and that Christians should not say that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. This wow. is the man who headed up the Anglican Church uh, in, in the 1980s. Right? But where are you now? We're in 2022. Yeah, see? almost 23. It is worse now than it was back then. But notice there was no um, uh, protest Nobody came out of the denomination. Nobody decided that let's meet and remove this man from being the position of head. Let me give you another uh, example. The uh, Anglican Bishop uh, David Jenkins, uh, he openly questions most of the major doctrines of the Bible. When asked about Christ's resurrection, this is what he said. The Christian is not bound up with freak biology or corpses getting up and walking around. So he doesn't believe in the resurrection? No, he doesn't believe in the resurrection. See? But uh, how insulting that is to, to Scripture. Listen to it again. The Christian is not bound up with freak biology mm. or corpses getting up and walking around. He is uh, 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 trying to be clever, yeah. trying to be witty. But at the same time, mocking yeah. the resurrection. How can a man like that remain a bishop in a church? See, that man should have been removed. If he was not removed, the congregation should withdraw themselves from that. Let him have the building, but let's get over and worship the true and living God. That would be the biblical response. But in spite of that statement, he remained the bishop. Mm. How in the world can that be the right thing to do? When it came to the matter of Christ's virgin birth. This is what he said. It's a sort of story that gets told after you already believe somebody is very important. You don't have to believe in the virgin birth. Wow. That's the bishop, say, making those kind of, of statements. And again, no protests, uh, no withdrawal from the church, no demanding that his, his, uh, his church be moved from the denomination or he be fired from his, his post, whatever it is. He just continues. How, and the Bible says, come out from among those people who are unbelievers, who are infidels. This man is an infidel. This man is an unbeliever. You come out from, you don't stay in a situation like this. Uh, here's another. Uh, this is George Carey in 2001. He is also the Archbishop of Canterbury in 2001. Again, that means he's the head of the, the Anglican Church. Okay. Church. Uh, uh he said these words. He said, Muhammad was a great religious leader and whose influence on millions have been for the good. Now, how in the world can a man, knowing that Muhammad is a false prophet, that people who believe in Muhammad are damned, right? 
how can a man turn around and say that this man has done a good job and he has had a good influence? This is apostasy, pure apostasy. He's endorsing the Muslim faith with a false prophet, the great era. If I find myself in one of these churches, what should I do? My answer is this. Either the church removes the denomination, or you come out of the denomination, come out of the church. But it doesn't make any sense that you're faithful to God's word and engage in error. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode. Have a Merry Christmas from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and from Grace Baptist Church here in Antigua. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.